Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon. Whenever and wherever you're listening, we just wanted to extend the warmest of welcomes. So kick back and relax as we continue through our sermon series. Well, hey, friends, it's so good to be with you today. Uh, If you're with us online, thanks for being here. Uh, My name's Larry. I'm the lead pastor here. And um, yeah, I got to see a lot of you guys last week at Easter. Got to meet a lot of new faces. So if you're back, welcome uh, back and uh, hope you get connected with us. I just wanted to give you guys just a shout out how thankful I am for this faith community. Um, Last week, if you were here, we had Rachel Grendel share where she killed it. Uh, She was so good. Yeah. And... um, We talked about, and this is why I'm so thankful to be a part of this faith community, is we talked about that when we open up and we look at the word and we discover the gospels and uh, the riches of it, one of the things that we see is we see a woman literally give the, the first gospel message that our Savior is alive, he is risen, and he is with us. And so last week we invited uh, a strong powerful, pastoral uh, woman to share that good news with us all. And um, I thought it was really neat. I got an email um, from someone, a lot of response about that, because that's not normal. And this is why I'm thankful for this faith community, is I got an email from uh, a woman in the, she said, I'm waving to you from middle America, from Indiana, and said, hey, I saw that you guys did this, and it made me tear up. And specifically what she said is she said, I hope that in 15 years, no one would bat an eye at this type of thing, but I want you to know that I did and how thankful they were. So just thank you for being that kind of type of community that we could just kind of try to dig through things and open it up and try to live it out in a way. And that represents a lot of who you are and we are together. So yeah, thank you. Um, we are walking through methodically the book of Matthew. Uh, if you're new with us, we actually have a gift for you as you leave today. We created a journal uh, while we're on this journey that talks about what we're talking about each and every week. It's got the scripture in there. It's got some space for notes or devotional stuff. We have that the new friends area. As you leave today, you can grab a copy of this. But we started Matthew back in August, and today is a big deal. I just want to congratulate you. Today, we're starting chapter six. Yeah. <laughs> We made it to chapter six. We started chapter five in January. So some of you that are new, you're like, oh, you're not joking. Like for reals, for reals. We are walking verse by verse. We've been unpacking this stuff. Uh, we're working on actually creating another journal to keep us going because this one will expire at some point. We're going to put some new resources in there. Um, so if also, if you have a friend or a family member, you want to have discussions about this, uh, and they don't come here, we've got a lot. Eventually, these things aren't going to be anything more than just paper to use, and so we want to give those out, but especially if this is one of your first times. So today, congratulations. We uh, are in chapter six. Chapter five started what was called the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus went up onto a little hill um, and gave this powerful sermon, this uh, lesson to us all, uh, and it's chapters five through seven. Um, And this is um, where he just dives in and lets us know what it truly means to be a follower of God. And we learn how to be a disciple of Jesus. And he says really hard things. He says um, some things that are kind of tough for us to understand. He says some things that readjust us as he's giving this message. And so what we're doing is we're just unpacking, like I said, verse by verse. We're taking a look and seeing what can we gather from this after looking at it from its cultural context, theological context, I want to look at it in our current context and how we can actually live it out as followers or disciples of Jesus. So I'm going to 
read um, Matthew 6. This is exciting. We're going to do eight verses today. We're screaming. Some of you guys are like, yes, this is legit. Like, we are finally moving <laughs> forward. Uh, we're going to do Matthew 1, uh, 6, 1 through 8. Um, but this is just a reminder. Uh, if you go back and you listen or you read this stuff, the, the, the Sermon on the Mount was one continuous message that didn't take forever if you read through it. We're taking it in like little bite-sized pieces. And so if you look at like the ethos or the scope and sequence, it helps give um, some understanding to what we're continually talking about and the picture that he's painting. So I'll try to do that as we go through. So first you can read along. Let me just read uh, all of the verses we're going to go through today together. It says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love the praise standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in the secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So we're going to do verses 1 through 8. Next week, we're actually going to start uh, dissecting the Lord's Prayer, which is 9 and 10, and we're going to do that in two parts, so we'll understand that a little bit. But we're going to walk up to that. An interesting thing to understand as we kind of like chew on this and unpack some of these pieces is this is one of the very few times that uh, Jesus teaches differently, straight to the point. Typically, uh, the way he teaches is inductive. It's painting a picture that finally gives you some sort of a result. It's like this, and you've heard it said, and uh, this is the way you might understand it, but this is what it looks like. So he paints these different pictures. This is one of the few times that instead of being inductive, he's deductive. He's right to the point. He says, I'm going to state my thesis right off the bat. I'm going to make it clear as day right off the bat, and then we're going to point back and show what this means and what this looks like in reality. So starting off in verse one, he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. So there's a statement. This is what he wants us to walk away with. This is the, the clearest it can be. And then he's going to paint this picture. So right off the bat, he uses this word uh, that's kind of up front in our face. It's be careful or beware, some of your versions say. Why is he saying that? It's a reflection on who we are and all of the things that he's already discussed as he's talking about our own cultural context, that our heart has a tendency to go naturally in a different direction. Like we naturally think of ourselves first. We naturally want to self-service, uh, give our own self-service and our own wants and needs and to be filled that way. And he's saying, be careful that over time, if you don't pay attention, your heart will naturally flow this way and that's not the way that you were created to be. So you need to beware or be unnoticed that this, these things take place in your life, 
reminder of where your heart naturally leans. And in this, he's talking about, be careful, do not practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Now, this, this brings up the question of what is righteousness and what kind of righteousness are we talking about? Because if some of you that were here, if you remember, it wasn't that many weeks ago, he specifically said, make sure men can see your deeds. Let men see all the good deeds that you do to bring glory to your father who is in heaven. So we're like, wait a minute, what is it? A minute ago, you just said, let men see your deeds so that they can celebrate and glorify the father in heaven. And now you're saying, don't let anybody see your deeds. Don't let men see this. And so the righteousness here is what we've talked about initially, and he's been walking through, is a moral righteousness. The way we act, the, what we produce, the fruit that we bear towards others. And now he's talking about now that you are being a disciple, being a follower of God, understanding that, that these are practices that you do. Now let me talk about your religious or your follower or your discipleship type of righteousness, how to do those things in a right way. So you started out doing these things and you did it in a great, beautiful way. And God sees that. Other people see that and they turn, they say, wow, the way that you love, the way that you give, the way that you are, the way that you talk to people or into people is really a reflection of Jesus. That's beautiful. And then he switches and says, be careful because it can change up. It can change what it was meant to be. It's a heart issue. So he's challenging us right off the bat right here is, be careful, where's your heart at? Like, what's actually happening? What's the reason you're doing the things for? Why, why are you doing things where men can see it? Is it for me and my glory, or is it for you? And so that's the picture that he's going to paint. So we've said our main statement, verse 2. So then he keeps going, and he says, So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Notice right off the bat, he says what? When you give, not if you give, when you give. So right off the bat, there's an expectation that when you are a follower of God, that when you're a disciple, that you've started doing these things because your heart has changed, you've uh, had a transformed spirit, that you then begin to participate and you are a giver. So he's saying now that as you're a giver, there's things to watch out for. When you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets. So right now, I think this is transitions to where uh, I really think Jesus was really funny. I think he was like a funny guy. Uh, and he told things with like levity and uh, made things humorous because I think humor is the way to the heart. Like it's the anesthesia that just gets you there to understand things. A lot of people argue with me and he's like, no, he's very straightforward to the point. You know, he's like a professional here. And I'm like, well, I mean, he made us funny and it's fun to be fun, right? So right here, that's what he's doing. He's, he's painting this like demonstrative picture of, of what we do and what we shouldn't do, where our heart is. So right here he's talking about, don't announce this with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues on the streets to be honored by men. So he's painting a funny picture where people would be like, oh yeah, that's funny. I, I, I totally could picture that. He's literally saying, yeah, you know, like look at them. They're getting ready to go give and so they're making a spectacle and a show and they're like, let's go out and give to the needy and the poor and people walk in front of them and toot and they say, watch everyone, look how I give to this person. That's the kind of picture he's painting in this culture and people laugh and think it's funny. Now, in our culture, in current context, have you ever seen any of those behind the scene Instagram stuff or any stuff like that that shows influencers? I think some of them are called influencers in the wild. <laughs> like what they're doing behind the scenes. 
right? And, and it's literally like, don't be like those people who say, hey, I'm going to go over, I'm going to give that guy a hamburger because he's really hungry. Make sure you're over there taking a picture of me so I can look and be like, hey, man, I heard you're hungry and I'm giving it to you, right? And the picture shows like I'm this generous, I'm this giving person. So he's saying, don't be like those hypocrites. So here's like a really powerful word I hear. What is a hypocrite? You're a hypocrite. <laughs> We're all hypocrites, and you know a hypocrite. Uh, an interesting thing this week, I was trying to figure out, how do I talk about hypocrites? Like, how can I find like a funny story or a good story to paint the picture of hypocrites? And it was just really difficult. And so I asked, I asked about 20 different people this question including even this morning to one of our uh, worship team people. I said, hey, can you tell me the area you struggle with hypocrisy the most? Like, what area are you most hypocritical? And, and the response is always, hmm, interesting. <laughs> and I usually sit there for like 20 seconds, and I'm like, hmm? And then I say, okay, well, let me make it easier for you. Can you tell me an example where someone that you know is most hypocritical, and immediately what they do, oh yeah, this one person, boom, 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 right? We are really good at that. We are so good because it's defamatory, right? We're like, oh, and then, so what does a hypocrite mean? In this uh, specific text, uh, if you translate this uh, in the Greek, in this ancient archaic text, hypocrite literally is speaking to a play actor. So someone who's putting on a performance, uh, that's wearing a mask. It's putting on a show. So that means this is the character in which everyone sees me in. And then in another place, in an area of their life, that's not who they really are behind the scenes, in the backstage, with the mask off, right? That um, They're just performing, putting on a show so that others have a perception of what reality is for them when it's not really the case. So he says, don't do that like the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the street, that they're putting on this performance right now to be honored by others so other people think that's who they really are and how they act. I tell you, and he says this, they received their reward in full. This literal translation means that they've received the invoice, like a stamped invoice that there's all they're gonna get. So he's saying, hey, when you perform for the audience or for the accolades of man or whoever that is, whatever you get is what you're gonna get. You are receiving everything that you possibly could get from this. You have received all your reward in full. Invoice stamped, it's done, that's what you get. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And this is the, really the first most obvious reason to give when you process it. Why do we give? It's because people need it, right? We've, we've seen a problem. Like we've seen uh, something going on with a fellow human being who is suffering and that becomes reason enough. Or we see something that breaks our heart and it, it compels us to be compassionate or to unleash compassion, move towards generosity. The second reason is that you genuinely care. So someone needs it. Now you genuinely care about that need and, and that comes from your heart and you genuinely want to do something generous. But you see, he's painting that there's actually a third reason that we're generous. Uh, he's, he's painting this picture, and that is that it's all about you or me, uh, your reputation, and that you want to give to be honored. It, essentially, it's this. 
The cost of giving for some of us is just the small price to pay and it's an investment to be noticed. For some of us, giving is just the small cost to pay to be noticed. I'm not gonna say that it's anyone in this room, but I'm gonna tell you, you know somebody. Have you ever met that person that gave to something, was really generous to something, and then they're just like braggadocious about it for like the next two weeks? You've met them? That's all they're talking about, how they gave to this. They're so generous to this thing. And you're just like, come on, quit it. I'm tired of hearing. But you're the most generous person in the world, right? You're like, tell me more. This is so good, right? We've all met that person. That's, that's like that. It says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by others, I tell you that they've received their reward in full. So again, what is he saying? When you pray, not if you pray, when you pray, you are a follower, you're a disciple, you're going to pray, you're going to have an intimate conversation with God. You'll have a public one. When you pray, it's not performative. Don't make this a performative prayer. Jesus says there's only one audience that counts in this situation in your prayer life. And that God who sees what you do in secret also sees who you are backstage when the mask comes off and also sees whether or not you're genuine about something, right? Um, This is uh, the performative prayer, um, standing in front of people. Many of you guys equate like prayer. I'll just say like most people equate prayer to like grace. I don't even know how we came up with that word, grace. When we're praying before we eat, right? And how many of you guys get really frustrated when people say grace and they want to then pray for the entire day and not just the food in front of them? Been there? Done that? Yeah, I know. I've been there and I'm like, the food comes out, it's hot and you're ready to eat it. And someone's like, ooh, let's pray for the food. We got to bless the food. And you're like, oh, okay. So you do it. And they start out and they're like, dear heavenly father, sweet baby Jesus. (laughs) I saw a flower this morning. And I heard about Amy, Auntie Amy, and uh, she's really going through something tough. We don't want to talk about it because it might ruin our appetite, but you know, (laughs) you're the father who knows everything. And then, um, you know, right? And we're like opening our eye, like, can you just pray for the food? Like, what's going on? (laughs) Right? And they just keep going and going and going. And you're like, what is happening right now? I am distracted. I am confused about what's going on. Can you just say grace and move along so we can just eat our food? We get in those situations, God sees it, sees it genuinely, but we do these things to impress people. He then talks about, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Interesting right here, uh, this word for room is actually uh, equated to a storehouse or like where you keep your treasures, And so there's this imagery, I think, that's taking place here, and the scripture's all full of it, and Jesus paints it a little bit here. I think this imagery of when you pray, go into where your treasures always are, already are. Go into that space, close the door, and then spend time alone with your heavenly Father, focused on just a relationship with him. I think that what that does is if you have all the things that are important and treasured to you in front of you, it changes the way that you actually pray. How many of us are, is our prayer life full of lists of things that I need you to do? 
Like we just come to God and we're like, I need this, I need you to do this, show up here, do this. When you're sitting there and you've got these things in front of you, you literally just get to sit there and listen and be like, wow, I'm grateful that I have this. Look at, I've got daily bread. I'm not sure if I like it, but I'm gonna sit here with it. And the conversation changes, like your heart then starts to change. Then your father, he says, who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This was like a, a really tough one this week for me that I kept chewing on because he says it multiple times. He says, they've received their reward in full, but the things that you do in secret, your father will see it and reward you. So I chewed on it for a while. And then I was like, I need to talk to somebody who's smarter than me uh, to see if I'm just like missing something here. So I called uh, my friend, Dr. Grana. He uh, spoke here a couple weeks ago. He spoke here many times. And I said, okay. So he keeps saying this over and over and over again. He keeps saying... Then your father, if he sees these things, he's going to give you the reward. Am I missing something here? Because often Jesus is saying more than he's actually saying. And maybe there's like a deeper theological context here. And this is something even in your small groups, maybe you guys can wrestle with this week of what's going on. And where we landed was, it really is just that. That there's no other like later special reward. But it is that when you are, um, when you are of the right heart, and you're giving to someone else, and you're practicing in your discipleship, and you're praying, and you're spending time with your father, and you're not making it about anybody else, that in that you find your reward. In that you find full satisfaction. Because you'll get whatever you're going to get from someone else. Your identity will get torn up, and it'll get lost in other things. But in the father, you will find reward when you do these things this way. It says, then, when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask. You know, back to the whole grace thing. Like that's like my favorite way to say grace. I mean, this is just a simple one. This is like a free gift right here. I'm just gonna throw it out there. It's really easy to just say grace of God. Thanks for the food, nourishes our body, and thanks for this time we have together. May it nourish our souls. Boom, and everyone goes, the best grace ever. That was clean, let's eat, right? Got to get to the point. Got to get to where we're going with that stuff. Because otherwise it's distracting, right? He, he talks about babbling like the pagans do and just saying stuff. How many of you guys have ever heard someone, they're just blowing you away their vernacular and they're saying these crazy words. And you're like, what does that even mean? And, and people are gathered around. They're like, let's pray together because again, that's what we should do. And people are praying and all of a sudden you're just sitting there going, Bleh, I'm out. Like, I can't say all those things. I don't even know what that word means, right? <laughs> it's like your turn and you just want to do the whole like, Amen, I affirm, everything, piggyback, whatever they said, amen. Like, yeah, that sounded great, right? It says, your father knows what you need before you even ask him. So, landing this plane, how do we even get ourselves here? Some of you maybe are finding yourselves in that space where you're more performative, you don't even know if it's real. Maybe you don't give. Maybe you don't pray. Maybe you're doing it so others will see you and see the deeds that you're doing, that you're doing, not that your father's doing through you. And how do you even get there? Well, I want to tell you, there's that metaphor of how do you eat the elephant in the room? One bite at a time. This is a slow progression. And I think it wraps itself all the way back to where he started with this thesis statement where he said, be careful. 
or beware. This can happen to you one bite at a time. And suddenly you find yourself in a place you never intended to be, you never imagined you'd be. Your identity is wrapped up in the applause you get and the notice you get from those around you. And when some rogue wave comes sideways and hits you, what happens? You crash and you fall. And your foundation you found was built on something that wasn't sturdy enough to carry you through the things yet to come. Revelation 2.4, talking about the church in Ephesus and how there was sadness because says that you've lost your first love. You've lost your first love. I think for some of us, maybe, when we find ourselves there, it's because we've lost our first love. Have you, have you thought about, think about your first love. Your first love, you would do anything to be with that person, right? Like you just wanted to give them anything. You just want to be around them. You just want to be close. It's like when, you know, you like laid there until five in the morning, just breathing on the phone. Like, ah, yeah, you're still there. I'm still awake. Yeah, yeah, right? I just, wanted to, I just want to hear you breathe. Like, it's cool. You've got nothing to talk about. But like, you're just all the way in. Like you are leaned completely in, right? You want to know what they're up to, what they're thinking, who they are, what their dreams are. You want to give to them. You want to care for them. I remember... Um, um, my wife, Michelle, and I, we were first dating, and uh, I remember her first love moment. It was, um, she was, I think she was really sick for the first time in our relationship, and we lived about 45 minutes apart, um, and we both worked kind of the same area, which is how we had met and we were dating, and I remember I had like a junker car um, that I could barely even get to her. There was literally times where there was like a little slope on the freeway I had to go to get to her, and I had to call her and be like, I had to turn around, it wouldn't make it up the hill. Like, <laughs> We're real close. I'm like a couple miles away. <clears throat> and uh, this day I found out she was sick because she wasn't going to be at school and she really did not feel well. And so I called in sick because <laughs> uh, I was like, I'm going to go over and take care of her. And she did not know I was going to come over. She did not want me to come over. And I showed up with like some soup and stuff. She answered the door and you could see like fear over her face. Um, because her hair was a crazy mess. She had her glasses on. Her face wasn't put on. She had bad breath. We've talked, I, I got her permission just before. So you guys are good. Some of you guys are like, you, you in the house, bro. <laughs> Jammies on. I came in and like, I came in and I gave, I just wanted to be with her. I just wanted to talk to her. I wanted to care for her. I wanted to give to her unconditionally. And in that, you know, that was one of those moments where you find out like your identity is safe. Like this is a safe place where I can be fully myself. There's, there's nothing else that you have to put on. Some of us have lost our first love. Some of us have lost our first love. Where you started out this one way and all of a sudden you found yourself in a completely different way. It's why maybe uh, uh, you've, you've heard those stories of now all of a sudden they've caught eyes for somebody else. Why? It's because they're treating them like their first love. Because there's investment into that. There's care that goes into that. There's time that goes into that. And then suddenly you find yourself one bite at a time in a completely different place where you're just putting on a show, where you're wearing a mask, and you're trying to find your identity in other things 
and people. So, have you lost your first love? Have you lost your first love, your, your ability to participate in the things that God has called us to participate in as followers, as disciples of Jesus? So what do we do with that? Well, how do we get back? I want to talk about how we get back. I think that we can actually find it in the scriptures that we just read. How do we get back? I think one is to give unconditionally. And two is to pray on your own. Those two things. How do you get back to your first love? That first one is you get back to just giving unconditionally, to fully leaning in. That, that you need nothing reciprocated in return. You need no applause in return. You know that's what it's like when you've experienced a first love. You would do anything with nothing in return. But some of us, we found ourselves in this space where you're like, I'm not going to do nothing for them. Why? They didn't do nothing for me. Right? I'm not going to do nothing for him. I don't feel like he's done nothing for me. What do I get back out of this? How you find your way back to your first love is unconditional, no expectations of giving all of yourself to those around you and to your father that says, here I am. This is me. The second one is to pray on your own. You don't need to put on this big public display, but you get to have an intimate conversation. That's where growth comes out. It's that sitting next to each other and just saying like, I want to know you more. I want to hear you more. I want to be known by you. I want to be seen by you and I want to see you. That's where you find your identity is. That's where you find your identity is safe. And I want to tell you that for me, what, came, what comes out of that is truly that's where I discovered that I was enough. Um, I know for me, like, personally, I have struggled with performance issues most of my life. And it's because I've been trying to and had always wanted to perform and be good enough for my earthly father. I had to perform because I wanted to feel like I was enough and that I was love, loved and accepted. And I remember a, a real specific moment in my life. Um, I wrestled in high school. I wasn't the best of the best, but I was not bad. I was pretty good. And so there was expectations that went that, and I worked hard at it, and I wanted to perform because I wanted to make him proud, and he had ended up coming to one of a, a wrestling tournament that I was in. That was a pretty big tournament. And he had showed up at it, and he was sitting in the stands, and I was in the middle of a wrestling match, and it went into overtime, and it probably shouldn't have. I was better than this kid athletically. And it went into overtime, and then he let me have it from the stands. So then my mom and him are arguing. This is still going on, getting ready to go into overtime, how upset he was and how ridiculous that was that this had happened. And so I continued this performance. And I remember then I was distracted and I ended up losing. And he got so mad, he stood up, yelled some more stuff. I was so embarrassed, he ended up leaving. And um, I just didn't feel like I was enough. I didn't feel like I could ever be enough. And some of you guys have felt that way where you're just like, I'm just trying to find somebody out there or something out there that will give me unconditional love that doesn't feel like it's attached to some kind of performance of being good enough 
or an expectation that was put on them. And so out of my time, when I found my first love and went back to my first love of Jesus, what came out of that is I discovered that you're enough. Some of you guys need to hear that today. You're enough. You don't have to perform. That you're enough for your heavenly father. You're so much enough that he gave himself fully and completely to you. That you don't need to perform to show how good you're doing or how good you want to be. That you're enough. You are so loved. And out of that, discovering that I was enough, is I discovered because of that, it was really because he was enough. He's enough. And for some of you, you're not sure. Because you're sitting there going, is he really enough? You have to ask yourself that. That's why we do the things that we do because we're not sure that he really is enough. And so we go off searching and trying to find and filling this appetite that's performative. It turns into hypocrisy because we're just not sure that he is enough. But friends, when you sit in that space and you get to know him truly, and you get to listen to him speak into you, you discover you're enough because he's enough. And that's enough. I think um, it's important to respond to moments like this and respond to your heavenly father in worship. That sometimes we get to take a conversation where we just read eight verses together and try to unpack that and what it means that we get to sit in that and let, let just God kind of stir in that in our own hearts as we evaluate what we're doing, who we're performing for, the way that we're living this out. And so I'm gonna actually right now invite you guys all to stand. And today we're gonna respond. And I ask you to be open and to lean in as as God maybe just pushes into you, as the Holy Spirit leads in this place and encourages you or challenges you or comforts you or gives you faith that he's enough or healing for you. And um, Pastor Aaron is gonna pastor us into that moment. And this concludes this week's podcast. We hope you've enjoyed spending some time with us. And if you haven't already, like and subscribe to our YouTube and find us on Instagram at NGATECF. See you next week.